friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. Thanks for coming out. Good to see you all. We're wearing green this week because we're back to ordinary time. It is Trinity Sunday. Last week was Pentecost Sunday, and so this is the colors for a while. But we're going to look at a difficult subject today. Um, and I say this because my profession is... Um, it's filled with people like this. It's filled with narcissists. We're going to talk about really difficult people to love and like. Um, and we'll look into what narcissism is and how. And it's very uh, weird is how it functions. It functions in a very strange, almost surreal way. And in John chapter 8, I think Jesus is dealing with people who have some of these tendencies, but it's kind of squishy because you won't see that word used or that concept used, but you see kind of the pattern of how difficult people function, how they work, and how it's, it's just strange. Um, but there's a way that God comes in and shows us his grace in the midst of that kind of difficulty. So this is John chapter 8, verses 27. This is one of my favorite chapters, I have to say, of the Bible. And in John chapter 8, Jesus is dealing with people that follow him and then challenge him. So this is John chapter 8, beginning, I believe, in verse 27. Is that right, Tammy? John chapter 8, verses 27 to the end. They did not understand that he, Jesus, was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father instructed me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are descendants of Abraham, and we've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you'll be made free? Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son, Jesus referring to himself, has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, yet you look for an opportunity to kill me because there's no place for you, excuse me, there's no place in you for my word. I declare what I have seen in the Father's presence, and as for you, you should do what you have heard from the Father. Then they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing what Abraham did. But now you're trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. For I came from God, and now I'm here. I did not come on my own, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot accept my word. You are from your father, the devil. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is from God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is because you're not from God. 
The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet you do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever keeps my word will never see death. The Jews said to him, now, that we know that, now we know that you do have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever keeps my word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? The prophets also died. Why do you claim to be? Who do you claim to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, he of whom you say, he is our God. Though you do not know him, but I know him. If I would say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Holy Scriptures. And may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the intentions of all of our hearts and minds together be pleasing to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. I mentioned the word before I started this morning, a, a narcissist, and I know when I said that word, many of you have an idea of what I'm talking about. Some of you kids may not know what a narcissist is. And so a narcissist is someone who's never wrong. They're never wrong. And when you point out a wrong, they have an excuse for why it's not wrong. They're never wrong. They're always right. They have a real sense of right and wrong. They're always right. You're always wrong. They can be really smart, they can be really loud, they can be very quiet, they can be very complimentary and say nice things, or they can be very moody and difficult and mean, but they're the toughest people to love. And I mentioned that my profession, being a pastor, is filled with them. There's a survey put out recently by this guy. I, have, I know this guy. His name is Chuck DeGroat. He was actually, he's a counselor in a seminary in, uh, up in, uh, oh, the fingered state, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. <laughs> and what he said in the book was so true. He said um, that pastors, um, in terms of their being trusted, are some of the lowest trusted people when they look at trusted professions in the US. Pastors and politicians are like at 35% trust. Guess who has high trust? Teachers? Firemen and firewomen? And the top of the heap? Nurses. Yes, mm, yeah, we trust nurses, right? Isn't it true? But pastors and politicians, why? Well, Chuck said it really simply. Um, we have a very strange job. Think of this as a marketing job. Who would like to speak for God? I will. <laughs> what kind of people are attracted to that job? I'll speak for God. So pastors, you know, 
people that want to have the limelight and have ultimate authority. And the same can be said for theologians because theologians speak for God five days a week, not just one day a week, and they train the people who speak for God. So theologians and pastors, they, have a, they think well of themselves. The same can be said of politicians. Who's going to lead this country? I will. So in both of these professions, it brings in people that have a high sense of, well, high confidence of who they are and what they do. But sometimes they misuse that. And it shouldn't be that way. I, I, you know, I, I can honestly say I don't, well, I didn't get into this because I wanted to speak for God. I got into this because I wanted to experience God. And I kind of like what, it's what I do. It's what I am. I'm a Christian first, and then I'm a husband and a dad, but, but I can see it. And I can see tendencies in myself that can lean towards narcissism. Now, some people think narcissists really, really love themselves. Does that make sense? They love themselves too much. What Chuck says, and I think he's right, Chuck says narcissists are not people that love themselves. They construct an illusionary world around them. They love how they do that. And they love finding people who buy into that. And when they buy into that illusory world, it feeds them. So narcissists don't love themselves because real love of self means that you love God and love yourself and love others and you give yourself away. The narcissistic kind of love doesn't give itself away. It has a huge appetite and you need to feed it by always agreeing with them. Does that make sense? But it's, it's hard to see a narcissist. So is, where do we see a narcissist in this situation? Well, I want to do a quick overview of John 8 because it's not readily seen there. And the reason I chose this text is that narcissists don't wear a t-shirt that says, hi, I'm a narcissist, how about you? They don't do that. It makes it very confusing. And here's how it's confusing. Narcissists are exhausting. They're exhausting not because they're loud or because they're quiet or because they're, um, they're optimistic, because they can also be very, very pessimistic and very moody. They're exhausting because when you're with them, you have no idea where you're located in the universe. You think, I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if I'm wrong. All I know is, wow, what was that? So narcissists, I think the best way to describe them, I know it sounds odd, they're people of the lie. So they know they're lying. Nope, they don't know they're lying. They actually believe what they're saying. They're so, they believe that what they're saying about the universe is absolutely right. Do you know that's, that's kind of the story of the good news of Jesus? Jesus begins in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. He says, repent, for the good news, for the, uh, for the, repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus begins his story by saying, I'm going to give you all the experience of being, uh, the joy of being wrong. You thought God was a certain way. God is exactly like me. You didn't know that. Now you do. You were wrong. I love you. Have you ever had the joy of being wrong before? It's joyful when you know that you're loved while you're being wrong. Then afterwards, they don't hold it against you. And that's what repenting and believing the gospel, it's the joy of being wrong. This is the community of those who have had the joy of being wrong.
That's why I'm drawn to the church. That's why I'm drawn to being a pastor. I've been wrong a lot. I continue to be wrong a lot. But I also get joy because I know I'm loved by God. I'm loved by you guys. That's, it's, it works out. But narcissists don't understand that. So what I'm going to do is a quick overview of John chapter 8. And I want you to see that people that have their feet on the ground, that's most of us, because I think narcissists is a, I think it's up to 7% of the population right now. Those who are truly narcissistic. And they're very difficult to love. Because they wound, and when they wound, it really hurts. And the trauma it causes is really, really tough. It hurts. Um, but most of us have our feet on the ground, which means that we know the joy of being wrong and being loved. So there's another book, and I'll put these out too. This is a book that's kind of easy to read. This book is harder to read, and look how thick it is. It's like a, a Sherman Dennison phone book from 1978. Look at that thing. I mean, well, no, that'd be like the Dallas phone book. Yeah, Sherman Dennison's really tiny. All right, this is called Malignant Self-Love by Sam Vaknin. I think two people in this church have read that thing. It's John Hawkins and myself. We both devoured it. And when John, let me read you what he says here. And then I'll show you how this, this happens in John chapter 8, okay? Because I had to give you this preamble because I want you to see it. Um, Sam, by the way, Sam is not a psychologist. He's not a counselor. You know what he is? He's this uber smart, I think uh, some sort of electrical engineer. And I think he's Dutch and speaks like 12 languages. But guess what he is? He's a recovering narcissist. And he wrote this book to say, this is how I do it. I don't want to do this anymore. Please help me keep my feet on the ground. So he wrote this book, and he trains counselors and pastors all over the world. And it's not an easy to read book because he's not a counselor. Chuck is. This is easy to read. He's an engineer. This is and cognitive deficits up to the point of failing the reality test. Narcissists fail the reality test. Why? They construct their own universe. You just happen to be living in it, and you're not a convert yet. But they're a great evangelist, and they're going to go after you. Does that make sense? So they, that's what narcissists do. They are therefore incapable of love and loving. Narcissists do not love themselves. They are emotionally invested in a fictitious concoction of, number one, the false self, and the reaction it garners from their sources of narcissistic supply. What is that? So they're saying narcissists, they don't love themselves. They love their false world. And you know what they also love? They're hungry. And they're hungry for you to agree with them. And when you agree with them, you feed them. Until you don't feed them, then they look for someone else. So this is the pattern of how... So most people... They love people. Narcissists don't love people. They love a pattern. And here's the pattern. They build you up. They devalue you. They discard you. But don't go away. Then they build you back up again. Then they devalue you. And then they discard you. But boy, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. They'll build you up again. Devalue you discard you. Oh, hold on, hold on, come back. They build you up, they devalue and discard. It makes you crazy. They love the pattern. And our, and our, our goal is, is to love them and to help them break the pattern. So I want you to see here, if you'll give me just a three minute to go through a quick Bible study of John chapter 8 of how this happened with Jesus, okay? Jesus is God. Let's test some. So Jesus is God the Son. Does Jesus love people? 
Okay, and yeah, of course he does. How many? 20, 30, 50, 1,000, 2,000? He made everyone. Does he love everyone? Yes. Does he love difficult people? Oh, he does. Yeah, he does. So does Jesus follow a pattern or does he love people? He loves people. But here in John chapter 8, you're going to see certain kinds of people that follow a pattern. And by the way, this is how this text has been misused by pastors like me. A lot of pastors, very famous pastors, very famous theologians, and I'll name them, St. Thomas Aquinas and Martin Luther, when they read John chapter 8, they became anti-Semitic. They said, the problem are Jews. No, the problem is not Jews. The problem is narcissistic people. Jesus is, not, Jesus is Jewish. He loves Jewish people. He's Jewish. So let's not scapegoat an entire, an entire nation, an entire people group, because they have some people that are narcissistic. So that's just the preamble there. And I love a lot of the writings of Luther. I love a lot of the writings of St. Thomas Aquinas. I happen to come from a, a Catholic background and a Protestant Reformed background, but those guys are wrong. The problem here is not the Jews. The problem is the narcissist in the group. So remember the pattern? You build up, you devalue, then you discard. So John chapter 8, beginning of verse 27. They did not understand that Jesus was speaking about the Father, so when Jesus says, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll realize that I am He and that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father instructed me. And the one who sent me is always with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. And as He was saying these things, many believed in Him. So they believed in Him. Now next thing. Then Jesus said to them, who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So Jesus is giving these people a gift. Oh, you believe in me. I'm going to give you a gift. What's that gift? It's me. You get me. I love you. I made you. I redeem you. You get to be with me and everyone else forever. You get me. And they believed in him. Um, they believed in him. Or some people said they believed in him. Because look what happens next. Then they answered him, we're descendants of Abraham, and we've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be made free? Oh, we believe in you, Jesus. Uh, one question, though, sir. Well, hold on. We're not enslaved by anything. And Jesus says, well, yeah, you are. You have an issue of you have a propensity to screw things up. That's called sin. You all have a, you all have a tendency to screw things up, to screw up relationships with yourself, your friends, with God. We all do that. I'm going to free you from that. Oh, we believe in you, Lord, but uh, we don't, we're, we're, hold on. So they see the pattern here. They build him up. They're beginning to devalue him. You're going to set us free? Then Jesus goes on here. So if the Son, he says, if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. That's where we get that, that saying. By the way, would you know what's ironic when I lived in early California? Over the, over the gymnasium outside of Berkeley High School, Berkeley, California, you shall be free indeed. And I thought, wow, Berkeley High School, quoting from John chapter 8, who'd have thought that? But I think that, I'm thinking, but they didn't put the reference. They didn't say John chapter, they just said the truth will set you free. I think they're using it for education purposes or athletic purposes, but like, you know, Berkeley, come on. There's no big idea. Anyway, I just thought that was funny. All right. Um, and that, so Jesus says, he says, I know that you're descendants of Abraham, yet you're looking for an opportunity to kill me. He knows their hearts. They don't really like him. 
They're building him up. They're beginning to devalue him. And he says, I declare what I've seen in my Father's presence. As for you, you should do what you've heard from the Father. The Father. Jesus is pleading with these people. I know your hearts. You say you believe in me, but you know God. You've read the scriptures. You know the Father, my Father, your Father. You know him. Listen to him. Listen to him in your heart. So they build him up. And now they're beginning to devalue him. At first they said, we're not enslaved. And look what they say next. Then they answered him, Abraham was our father. If you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing what Abraham did. Jesus told them, but now you're trying to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're indeed doing what your father does. They said to him, we're not illegitimate. And I have to tell you, this is where the Bible is. They're making it PG rather than PG-13. They, did, Jesus did not, they didn't say that, well, they basically said Jesus... Um, it's the two B words for like the female dog and then the, the guy, okay? And because there's kids present, I'm not going to use them to put in your vocabulary. You know what I'm talking about, okay? He said, we're not those kind of people. We're not illegitimate. So at first they said, um, you know, we're not enslaved. And now they're saying, you're saying that my mom and dad were unmarried and that I'm an illegitimate kid. Oh, they're really beginning to devalue him. You see what happened? And Jesus said, you're trying to kill me. He knows that they want to discard him already, but he's hanging on to them, hanging on to them. And it goes from, from being kind and building up to devaluing him. And this is what happens next. Jesus says, why can't you understand what I'm telling you? It's because you can't accept my word. You are from your father, the devil, and you choose to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he's a liar and the father of lies. I'm in agreement with Rene Girard, who's a, he's an anthropologist and a theologian. We need to talk more about the devil and Satan. Because for us educated Western people, we think, oh, that's so Pentecostal and so 16th century. And I happen to be educated. You know, that kind of thing. We don't talk about those things. But you know what it means? You know what the word, the, the etymology of the word Satan means? In etymology, what's, what the word actually means? It means to accuse. So the spirit of Satan is not someone wearing, um, you know, a, having a tail and carrying a pitchfork and having a red suit on and two big pointy ears and fangy teeth. The, the idea of Satan is the power to accuse, to oppose, to devalue and discard. And guess what the word for the Holy Spirit is? The paraclete. And that's the advocate for those who are accused. That's so beautiful, isn't it? So what Jesus is saying is, ah, I'm going to get to the point. You guys say that you love God, but I think some of you love your illusionary self, and I want to free you of your sin. And you have this addiction to accusing people. It feeds your narcissistic supply. You're addicted to it. I'm just going to come out and say it. You're of your father, the devil. He detector test on them, they would pass with flying colors. Because in their heart, they're never, never lying. This just makes you crazy. And Jesus is confronting them. Begins with building up, devaluing, and then discarding them. And they keep arguing with Jesus and arguing with Jesus. And they keep saying, well, you're not Abraham. And Jesus says, you're right. Abraham pointed to me, and he's happy with me. Oh, now you're crazy, because you think Abraham's still alive. Oh, he is. 
And this is how he ends. Then they said to him, Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews said, You're not yet 50. And have you seen Abraham? It's so interesting. Jesus is 30, but he looks like he, he could be 50. Why? He's carrying over again. And so he's not yet 50. And then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham actually were going to physically discard him. So that's the pattern of narcissists. Now, have any of you been wounded by someone who's been a narcissist? I think all of us have been. But we don't know, it, and it hurts. And I think something that Chuck said, and I, I don't want to, I actually wrote it down, and I want to say it correctly, because I thought this was so good. So very rarely do I refer to my notes, but I don't want to misquote Chuck, so I'm doing this. Narcissists can cause a very um, painful event. Narcissists are not the kind of people that will ever say, I'm sorry. If they do, get out a piece of paper and pen, write it. What happens is that when we're, when we're not believed, when we've been harmed by someone like this, because usually narcissists are in people or positions of authority, and no one believes us. No one believes that we've been hurt. Chuck said this. He says that narcissism is a kind of emotional trauma or emotional abuse and spiritual abuse. But he said abuse is different than trauma. And this is what he says the trauma is. Trauma is not what happens to us, but what we hold on inside in the absence of an empathetic, an empathetic witness. That trauma is not what happens to us, it's what we hold inside when people don't tell us. That pastor really hurt me. Oh, not him. Well, he's a godly man. Well, but he really, really hurt me. Oh, no, he didn't. That must be his gift of leadership, that you're just misunderstanding in the midst of that. Like, well, let's go back to this text. What you'll notice is that... Uh, it, it, can you guys give me five minutes? Just five minutes. I want to do a couple of things, because I think this is helpful. There's two ways to think of narcissists. One way to think of narcissists is like the typical church planner, like... Well, if you all don't send me, then who? And if not now, when? I'm going to take the city for Jesus. Who's with me? Let's go. Come on. I got confidence. I'm in. That's what we think most narcissists are like. But sometimes narcissists are actually, um, they're what Chuck calls them. He says they're not vulnerable narcissists. They're vulnerable. They're fake vulnerable. Some narcissists kind of call like, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. I really love you, though build up. You rather love you, begin to devalue, but why don't you love me back? Then discard you. I'm not going to talk to you anymore, but I really love you. I really love you. Oh, why are you so mean to me? I'm not going to talk to you anymore, but I really, see how it can work both ways. So you can look at John chapter 8 like when these guys went to Jesus and said, um, We've never been slaves to anyone. We don't, we're Abraham's kids. You can think of like the, the church planner who's loud, like, what's wrong with you? Or you can think, oh, Jesus, I believe in you, but uh, why do you think we have an illegitimate mom? Why are you making fun of my mom? So you could be the vulnerable too, right? We don't know the context, either one. And that's what makes narcissism so difficult. But notice what Jesus does. He's not afraid of them. So the first thing, people are people. 
Fear is a trash emotion. We can't be afraid of people. But it doesn't mean, and this is, this is key here, I think God calls us to love people but not trust everybody. Trust is earned. And narcissists will say, if you don't trust them, you don't love them. They will link the two things together. Love means wanting the best for someone. Love means I desire what God desires for you. I want you to be happy and forgiven and loved by you. I want you to find your purpose in life. I want you to be free. But trust means I will give myself to you and what you say is the truth. But you can't do that to a narcissist because they'll abuse that trust. And then when you call them on it, they'll, discard, they'll, they'll, they'll devalue you until you're discarded and then they'll pull you right back in by lifting you up again. And Jesus didn't get caught in that cycle. Jesus was never disgusted with people. He wasn't afraid of people. And this is the thing that I'm learning that, especially if you've been traumatized by a narcissist, here's, I think, the beginning of healing. At least it is for me. You have to stop hating them. And I know some of you are like, oh, you shouldn't have said that, Mark. Because I enjoy hating them. I really, that's the one thing I like. And I'm praying that God somehow hates them too. Isn't it interesting how our enemies and God's enemies are the same when we do that, right? That doesn't mean you have to like them, but you have to stop hating them. Part of your recovery from the trauma, if I can be a little chuck here, is, is stopping to hate people. Anger could be a good emotion, but not hatred. Can't hate them. And as we begin not to hate them, I think what happens is that they begin to be humanized. And then we begin to see the complexity of people. Do narcissists ever change? Um, yes, yeah, sometimes. Wow, that's not very hopeful, Mark. I know. But they do sometimes. But they change the way you and I do. When we realize how complex people are, I think if we get to what Jesus, called, what, what Jesus says is just what, what orthodoxy is. We love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we love our neighbor as ourselves. Isn't that what it means to be a Christian? We do those things. Love God, love our neighbor. How do we know if we love God? If we desire what God desires for people, for us and other people. How do we know if I love my neighbor? If we ask them. If we ask them, how do you experience me? Have you ever asked someone that? How do you experience me? That's a very vulnerable question because they may tell you things that are hard to hear. And here's where I think we can begin to see some, some hope in, in the Christian life. People are very complex. So if, I, if, if we ask that question, how do you experience me? Someone may say this. You're humble and you're difficult. Oh. You're loud and you're gracious. Oh. You're generous and opinionated. Oh. You're loving and you're hard to please. Ooh. You're kind and you're a coward. Oh. Can't they both be true? Can't they all be true? 
What if it's true? You're kind and you're a coward. People are complex. These men that Jesus is talking to, they love the Bible and they don't like Jesus. They love Abraham and they don't like Jesus' words. They're both true. He's trying to get them to, to, to hang on to both parts of themselves, to, to integrate. And I think what keeps narcissism at bay is to understand that human beings are very complex. You adults that have done counseling, and you think about your own childhood, and you think about your parents or your big brother or big sister, when you begin to and them, that's when they become less monstrous. My mom was demanding, and she did the best she could. My dad was an alcoholic, and he loved me. My uncle beat me up, and he was my biggest encouragement. How can that be? People are that way. Isn't that challenging? So what does all this have to, how, how am I going to wrap this thing up? Just a simple way. Love everybody. Love is unearned, but trust is earned. Trust people that have earned your trust. Be watchful of hating anybody. And if you do hate someone, ask God to give, take away that hatred. And if you think someone's a narcissist, know that there's a pattern involved. And once you see the pattern, they lose that control over you because it's the same loop. Build up, devalue, discard. Build all over again. And you can begin to hate them by saying this. That person is a narcissist, and I learned a lot about myself and God through them. What? Did I just say that out loud? I did. That person is a narcissist, and I'm a better person because what I've learned from some things from them, they're both true. And as you hang on to the and, and as you begin to stop hating people, you'll experience, I think, the freedom that God gives us in Christ. And you feel less under the spell of narcissism. Um, they're the hardest people to love. But they're also some of the people that have given us the best gifts. And the only way we can deal with them is if we, well, know their pattern, be careful about trusting them, but we have to end them the way Jesus did. You see, these narcissists, they challenged Jesus, they wanted to kill him, and they were his family members, and he never gave up on them. We've got to end people. People are very complex. One of the things that I lament in our present day is that we don't end people. Oh, you're a Republican, that's it. Oh, you're a Democrat, that's it. Oh, you're a MAGA, that's it. Oh, you're a liberal, that's it. No, it's us and them. I mean, that's what, that's what narcissists do. You're either with me or against me. We're creating our own fictitious worlds. We've got to stop doing that. People are very complex. You're very complex. We've got to grab people by who they actually are. And it takes courage. And it's hard. And it's weird, but you're not alone. You have Jesus. He's going to guide you through it. These are the hardest people to love. 
And by the way, these are tendencies that all of us have. And we have real hope. And we end. Does that make sense? By the grace of God, we end people. Let's pray. Lord, help us love you and love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we show narcissistic tendencies, Lord, would you give us the grace to have the joy of being wrong when we encounter people like this? Would you give us the grace not to trust them, to put up proper barriers, but also, Lord, not to hate them, but to to look at their pattern and to tell them how we experience them. And in that moment, Lord, give them the grace to hear you and hear us. We thank you, Lord, and we pray in your name. Amen.